Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is episode number 75. History's top scientist, Jonathan M.S. Pierce, refutes free will two of four. This is second in a four-part series where I present a video that Jonathan Pierce uh, uploaded to YouTube. It's a talk to South um, to South Hampshire, I believe, England, where he just basically goes into why free will is impossible in different positions. So um, I just want to briefly explain why I cite Jonathan Pierce as the um, top scientist of all time. If you notice the introduction of the show, it was a quote by um, John Searle, uh, an eminent philosopher, who says that um, we're free will to be shown an illusion, that would be a bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein or Copernicus or Newton or Galileo or Darwin. And he goes on to say it would alter our whole conception of our relation with the universe. Now, naturally, when Searle is talking about this, you know, because he's naming the names, he's not talking just about the, uh, the fact that the world is shown the free will is an illusion. He's talking about the person who, um, who best succeeds, I believe, at it. You know, and again, Bob, this, this is Jonathan Pierce's book. It's called Free Will, an Investigation into Whether We Have Free Will or Whether I Was Always Going to Write This Book. I, you know, I started reading it in preparation for this, and he amazed me so much by how comprehensively, how well, how thoroughly he refutes free will, how strongly, that that's why I titled the, the, the shows um, basically citing him as the top scientist. And again, um, in terms of his being the top, top scientist, yeah, I mean, Einstein, um, Darwin, Newton, they did great things, but nothing compares to just basically setting the world straight about the fundamental nature of why we do things. All right, so let's, let's go. Um, so what I want to do is I'm, I'm going to present the clip and then I'm going to review it. I'm going to just basically go over the major points that the peers said. So, um, all right, I'll be back after that. Thanks. Decision. You decide to go on holiday and you choose to go by train or by airplane. And you choose to go by train because you believe that the carbon emissions are slightly less by train. That decision had a reason, and so therefore, you know, but you feel like you freely made that decision. But the fact is that you're interested in the environment. Why are you interested in the environment? Because of certain experiences you've had, education, blah, blah, blah. So the point of making that decision, all this has happened in your life up to that moment. And that decision really is a result of all of that and who you are genetically and environmentally. This is called your causal circumstance, and this is really important for anything to do with free will. Your causal circumstance, when you make a decision to go on holiday, your causal circumstance is who you are genetically, biologically. Everything around you, every molecule hitting your face, air molecules, what you can see, what you've learnt up to that moment, the entirety of your existence, in fact the entire universe, at that moment is your causal circumstance. The idea of determinism is that if you let that decision play through and then rewind back to that same moment, would you have made a different decision? Well, with everything remaining the same, every molecule in the universe, your entire learning up to that point, one would assume not, because that decision was based on who you are. Unless you go, well, I'm going to make a decision, but I'm going to make it randomly. Uh, go on holiday by train. You don't do that. You have reasons. Why do you have these reasons? Why are these important reasons? Because you're learning who you are, because you're genetic determinism. 
and you can follow that back to the Big Bang again. Does everyone follow that? So, this is not sort of a little bit of philosophy. Denial of the principle um, possibilities, that's what we just talked about. So I'm denying that you could have done otherwise. In order to have done otherwise, you'd have to be a slightly different person, slightly different genetic makeup, slightly different brain, slightly different environment maybe hitting you. Maybe I didn't see that tennis player do that, so actually that made me think about picking this up sooner. You know, you'd have to have a slightly different situation. Your causal circumstance would have to be slightly different. And they just does what they do, because they are who they are. It sounds obvious. But to make a different decision, you have to be someone ever so slightly different. To do something different in a causal circumstance, you have to be someone different. Or somewhere different. So that's a philosophy. Did everyone get the philosophy with that? Uh, it's difficult to know where to pitch these things, because as I say, you can go really deeply and I can bore you senseless, I probably would have. Or, or I can just sort of cross it like that. This is now getting onto the scientific evidence, and this is what I find really fascinating, because there's loads of science that supports determinism, and there's no science that supports the libertarian free world position. Literally, I don't know of any. Um, so, uh, psychological. We have a habit of in inventing intention. And this is really interesting. There's, they did some experiments with people who've, who've had their left and right hemispheres of their brains um, separated sort of through, one, through accidentally in surgery or whatever. And they, they, because of the communi communication between the left and right and your, your vision, so your, if you see something you know, with your left eye communicates with your right side of the brain or whatever. So they can then show things and see it communicate with one side of the brain and show things on the other side and see, it and see what happens. And as a result of some of these experiments, I'm being very simplified here. Um, as a result of some of these experiments, they, sh they show that we invent intention. So one, one example was th this, this guy was in a testing van and they showed him the word Coke. No, no, they showed him the word walk, sorry. Showed him the word walk, and he just got up, walked out of the van. And he came back and he said, well, why do you do that? Why do you just go out and walk? And because part of his brain didn't realise he had this reason here, the word walk, he invented the reason. He said, oh, I really need a can of Coke. So I had to go, go out and get, get a can of Coke. And then they showed him laugh, and he laughed. So why do you laugh? Well, because you guys got such a funny job. I mean, testing people in the van. So he's inventing intention. This is fascinating. A guy in the 19th century um, hypnotised people, got them two strange things. So this one, I'll just read this a little bit. Um, I tell him to take a flower pot from the window, wrap it in cloth, put it on the sofa, and bow to it three times. Completely bizarre thing. Okay? So he does all that, and he snaps him out of the hypnotism. So sitting there with a flower pot um, on the sofa, and he wrapped in cloth, so on and so forth. And he said, well, what was all that about? And straight away his brain invented a reason, because it couldn't cope with there not being a reason. And he said, you know, uh, you know, when I woke and saw the flower pot there, I thought that it was rather cool, but the flower, I thought the flower, flower pot had better be warm in it. Or else the plant would die. So I wrapped it in the cloth, and then I thought that as the sofa was near the fire, I would put the flower pot on it 
and I bowed because I was so pleased with myself for having such a bright idea. <laughs> Completely incredible that he could just suddenly pick up this, this, this reason, this intention. He intended to do this. Actually, he was determined to do that by having his brain effectively controlled by hypnosis. But the brain, if it's missing a part of the jigsaw, intention in this case, will invent that. So quite often, this is not saying all the time, but quite often you do things and you think, yeah, I meant to do that, whatever. Worth investigating, think, actually, am I just inventing intention for what I just did? And had, was I going to do it anyway because my non-conscious brain, my subconscious brain, making me do that? You have other things in psychology like de-individualization, group behavior. So one person, one kid walking down the street, a bit of a rough kid, What's past the uh, what's past the bus stop? Cows on walking. Same kid, three others, a bit boisterous. They start kicking the bus stop. Please stop them. Why did you do that? They all look at each other. You, 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 you. This kind of when we're in groups, we lose our sense of self and our sense of responsibility in the situation and reason why we do things. And it can get lost. So these things happen, they can come out of the group. And again, it's this, this lack of control over our own behaviour. So the psychology can do funny things to the brains. There's loads of other psychological, the cognitive dissonance, lots of funky stuff that I could, that I could go on and on about, but, but I won't. Um, so just move on to scientific evidence. So much scientific evidence that it's hard to pick the best or, you know, the stuff to tell you about. And it includes all the different disciplines. Very famous is this chap, Andrew Lillard, who a lot of you might have heard about. And the, the experiment has been replicated and actually improved. And it's where they got some people um, and they uh, got them to press a button. But they could see when they pressed a button by when they were looking at an oscilloscope. And, uh, um, and they were looking at their F MRI scans, which are brain scans, and they could see basically, in, sim in a simple way, they could see when the brain activated to decide to press a button, and when the person thought that they thought that they were going to press a button. You see what I mean? It's a bit complicated. And what they worked out is that the brain activates just before the conscious mind activates to decide to press a button. So, anywhere up to a second before, in different experiments, they've worked out that your non-conscious brain has actually decided to press it, and your conscious brain goes, oh, I think I'll press that. But of course, it's just reacting to what your non-conscious brain has already done. The invention of intention again. And that's very famous. Some people say, well, actually, that doesn't really apply to deciding where you're going to go on holiday. You know, it's a very much an automatic to do with, you know, when you're doing things in an automatic way. And I think that's a, that's a good criticism and, it, and I, I would uphold that. But it is interesting that your brain, your non-conscious brain is doing an awful lot behind the scenes. And there's a, there's a, there's a philosophical position called epiphenomenalism, which is, which is that your conscious brain is a result of your unconscious brain's machinations. So when you boil a kettle, steam comes off. It's like a natural byproduct of boiling a kettle, isn't it? Is your consciousness just a natural byproduct of what is going on in here? 
And this, this is what this would say, actually, it's just kind of, oh, oh the brain's decided to, to do that, yep, I've just decided to do that. So it's inventive, this consciousness could be just a level of inventive invention. Loads of other stuff. Wars and Michelle, this is actually, uh, it should be in the psychological section. Wars and Michelle, really interesting, delayed gratification. He got a bunch of three-year-olds back some decades ago, and he said, you've probably seen this, he's been replicated on television a few times. He sat them in front of cookies or marshmallows. He said, you've got, you got the cookie there. I'm going to go out of the room, and in 20 minutes time, I'm going to come back. And if that cookie's still there, you'll have two cookies. If it's not, you, you won't get any more. So I don't think he told them about how long he's going to be out. So he walked out of the room. And he had all this cohort of children. And some children were just like, ah, straight away. No thought. Really. Other children use delay, sort of delayed gratification techniques, so they um, distract themselves. Other, other children use other techniques. And you've got this range of reactions to this situation. But the, the, what's interesting is the children that had no delayed gratification, that couldn't sort of see the future almost to say, well, I'm going to get to, I, I can't do that, I can't wait that long, and ate it straight away, they followed them throughout their childhood and into adolescence. The children that had no delayed gratification had lower SATS results in America. They had um, more, more trouble with attention. They had more trouble with um, achievement. And it's, you know, it correlated across lots of different disciplines. Children with great delayed gratification, you know, more likely to say, well, do you know what, I'm not going to go out to uh, play now with my age or go down to the pub or whatever. I'm going to go to the library and, and study because in the long run that will blah, blah. So, We've got this, at the age of three, you can predict quite accurately the achievement of these children 20 years later, 15 years later. So that's, that's hugely important, that's sort of biological determinism in play. And there's you know, lots of things like that. There's, um, they've done a research in America that your political beliefs are biologically determined. They went to certain genes and said, well actually there's people with these certain combinations of genes are more likely to vote Republican or more likely to vote Democrat. And then they looked even further and said, well, actually, they're more likely to have these kind of characteristics. So they're showing pictures of spiders and they have certain reactions to them and certain pictures of different things of starving children. And they, they could be predicted, their reactions could be predicted based on their genetic um, blueprint. Uh, so that's, that's really interesting. And a lot of this goes on with twin studies because obviously they. Um, Twin studies, are really, twin studies are really useful because you can isolate sort of, um, genetic blueprints, your genome, and you've got different uh, environments, so you can measure different things. Okay, well, um, I hope you enjoyed that. So basically, I'm just going to basically review what, what Pierce says. Um, he starts out exploring the philosophical reasons why we might decide something. And he refers to this as the causal circumstance. So obviously you have, um, the first reason is that everything has to have a reason. Okay, there's, you know, if we make a decision, if we act, do something, if we have a thought, a belief, whatever it is, there has to be a reason for it. And that is the fundamental philosophical reason why free will is impossible. Because when you have a reason, that's a cause, and that sets off the causal regression. So, so basically, the, the reason... Um, why we do something is what uh, Pierce has described as the causal circumstance. And, you know, you can see this in various perspectives. Like, 
part of the causal circumstance is genetics. For example, 80% of our intelligence is genetic, 50% of our personality. So you can't really make any decision without our genetics playing a part in that decision. The next part is our environment, you know, just the thoughts. Our thoughts, our decisions are linguistically based. They're based on what we learned and what we didn't learn in school, how well we learned it, who taught us, why they taught us. Okay, so that's the environmental circumstance. Now, what, you know, again, the guy's brilliant. He also, like, explains that it's not just, you know, nature and nurture. Basically, it's the evolution of the entire universe. In other words, um, that causal regression, everything having a cause, it goes back in time, you know, moment by moment, you know, cause having a cause, and the cause to that cause having a cause, and the cause to that cause. That takes you right back to the Big Bang. So if you want to explain the causal circumstance most comprehensively and completely, that is the way to do it. Just going back to the Big Bang, with, uh, including or uh, considering the entire universe. Okay? And the idea is, like, let's say you were to replay, you know, the universe at any, let's say, 10 million years ago and have it come up to the present moment, the exact thing, same things would have to happen. That's the nature of causality. Okay, and that is why, you know, that's the philosophical reason why free will is impossible. Now, um, so basically, you know, we, we talked before about, I don't know which camera, I'm going to look at the middle camera because, like, these, these lights aren't uh, on. But anyway, um, uh, basically, this, this, this refutes the principle of alternative possibilities. In other words, like, alternative possibilities w would mean that, like, we could have, have, have done otherwise in the past, but since the universe has only one causal history, that's simply impossible. Okay, now Pierce then goes on to the scientific evidence. Basically, he, you know, cites, he explains very clearly that all... All evidence supports determinism. All evidence supports the fact that determinism is what governs the universe and governs our, our human will. And there is absolutely none, none that supports free will. You know, that's a very, that's a key point. Um, he goes on to like the psychological, neuro, neurological evidence. Split brain experiments. Somebody like, you know, through some kind of like condition up here is explained, the right side and left hemispheres of his brain aren't communicating, okay? So he's asked, he's shown a Coke, and, and he, he asks for a Coke. He's um, shown somebody laughing, and he laughs, okay? So, like, basically, that's a, um, um, that's a demonstration of, like, what we're actually doing a lot of times when we give reasons for why we do things. We're actually guessing. We're, we're, we invent our intentions, you know, we're not really aware of this because, you know, as I've explained in, in previous shows, all this stuff is done at the level of the unconscious. I just want to say briefly, another reason why Pierce, you know, is the top scientist of our time, like Sam Harris, um, Sam Harris, three-time best-selling author, he came out with um, his book March, um, March 6th, 2012. But Harris, you know, at least according to his book and other work I know, he actually believes there's such a thing as true randomness, that things happen uncaused. I mean, he, he, he gets that that would also free will, uh, refute free will just as completely as determinism, but Pierce understands that, that, no, there is no true randomness, that everything is completely deterministic. Okay, so on to the hypnosis. Pierce talks about, like, you know, they hypnotize a person, they tell them, Laura, you know, go to the um, window, take a flower pot, you know, flower in a flower pot, bring it over, cover it with a cloth, and then bow to it three times. <laughs> so the, the guys, you know, they do that, and the person does that, all right? He goes to the window, takes the flower pot, wraps it in a cloth, and bows to it three times. They ask him, why did you do this? 
he invents a reason. You know, uh, the flower, you know, it seemed cold. It needed warmth. So I wrapped it up in, in, in the cloth. Then I, I felt really good about myself. So I, I bowed. Now, this is a perfect example how we, we just like, you know, it's a clear evidence that, you know, in so many things, and that, that person was probably, you know, convinced that that was the reason why he did things. We invent reasons for why we do things. And we invent them because, like, basically the reasons we do things are in our unconscious. They're basically made known to us by the unconscious. Okay, um, then Pierce goes into de-individualization in group psychology, and he, he goes over the, um, the experiment where, you know, three kids are caught doing something wrong, okay, and, you know, by the police or whatever, and you get three different accounts of the exact same circumstances. What, what that'll tell you is that, you know, you know, our, our recollection, our understanding of what is happening is in a simple situation doesn't really jive with the reality very often. You know, that you have three different accounts of, of a similar experience will we'll tell you that. Um, then he goes into more scientific evidence. Uh, Benjamin Labette, this is the famous 1980 experiment. He basically um, asks subjects to press a button or move a finger or something and tell the researcher the exact moment uh, that they do this, you know, because there's a clock on the wall with some hands and, you know, correlate the time with the clock. So the, um, the outcome of this experiment is the researchers know about half a second or so in advance before the person is aware of having made the decision what the decision is going to be made. And you might think, well, you know, it's, it's, I think it may be like 200 milliseconds or something, whatever, 300. But the experiment, that was a 1980 experiment. It's been replicated. And more recent experiments show that, that the researchers can now tell about seven seconds in advance of a person knowing what they're going to decide what, um, what the decision is. Okay, so, so obviously that tells you if a researcher can know seven seconds before you do what you're going to decide, no, you don't have a free will. Okay, or, the, you know, yeah, it's basically you don't have a free will because you're, it's your unconscious, a part of your mind that you're not aware of, that you're not willing, deciding for you. Okay, then Pierce goes on to delayed gratification. Um, classic experiment. They offer um, three years old. They say, all right, you can have one cookie now. If you wait 20 minutes, you can have two. Okay, now here's the thing. The, um, the children... Who can who do wait the twenty minutes and get the second um, cookie? Also, they're much better at delaying gratification, and that test can actually predict the outcome of how well they do in life twenty twenty uh, years later. In fact, it's a better test of their academic achievement when they get to college than is the SATs. Okay, that's how strong it is. And so that, you know, Pierce, as Pierce explains, it's an example of biological determinism. In other words, between the age of 3 and 20, there could have been many, many kinds of environmental, you know, learning um, occurrences, experiences that might have uh, changed that. But it's such a strong biological motivation that apparently in, uh, for these experiments, no, it, um, you know, it, it didn't. It didn't for these kids, again. Okay, then he goes on to um, explaining political determinism. Uh, they have found genes. They have found genes that predispose a person to either voting conservatively or liberally, voting um, for Republicans or Democrats or whatever. This is amazing. You know, so th this will tell you, <laughs> you know, um, and, and the, the last thing he goes into is the twin studies. Now, a lot of times in order to find out whether something is genetic 
or environmental. What they do, there's a lot of cases where like twins are separated at birth, so you have one, um, one of the pair you know, living with uh, one set of parents, another with a, uh, another set of parents. And these are identical twins. You know, they should have the same kind of uh, genes. And um, one thing they, they uh, reveal that in certain cases, yeah, in certain cases, they are quite similar, much, much more similar than other people who have, let's, for example, been raised in the same family, brother, sister, whatever, you know, that aren't identical twins. In other cases, however, they find that the environment, the different um, environmental conditions that they're raised by really determines um, how they act, you know, in, in the future. All right, so, um, so that's, again, I just want to go over, like, you know, the world needs to know about um, Jonathan Pierce because his book is, is so amazing. Um, I said this in the last show. He, he not only goes over the scientific reasoning, the scientific explanations, the causality, the randomness that, that make free will impossible, but he extensively explores the, the theological reasons. For example, if God is all-knowing, if God knew a million years ago what you're going to decide right now, obviously, that can't be up to you. I mean, he, he's basically using the, the, the traditional conceptions of God, you know, what, what most people say when they, when they say they believe in God. For example, if God is all-powerful, if God is the only power in the universe, if he's omnipotent, then obviously, you know, whatever he doesn't want to happen won't happen. And, you know, some people say, well, if he's all-powerful, he can give you a free will. But that, don't you see, that, that, that would be illogical. That, you know, if, for example, he doesn't want you to sin, right? He doesn't want you to do what's wrong. So if you do something that's wrong and he doesn't want that, well, that's not all-power. Okay, so he explains that. And, and, you know, I've got to read his book again because, like, he just goes into a lot more detail on all this. Um, okay, um, so now, if you want to see this complete video, it's on YouTube. If you just, um, you know, keyword Jonathan Pierce, uh, talk to South Hampshire um, humanists, I believe it was. Um, it's like a, an hour long or so. Excellent presentation. All right, well, that's all we have time for today. And um, again, this is just uh, two of four. I'm going to present the entire video because it is, you know, this guy, he is the top scientist of all time. Nobody, no scientist has done anything more profoundly significant than demonstrate to the world uh, why free will is, in, is, is such an illusion and de demonstrate it so clearly, so convincingly, so comprehensively. So I, I think you'll be knowing, you'll, you know, you'll hear more about him um, in the future because there, there's, I mean, you know, my book is good. Sam's book is, is all right. I mean, the the thing, great thing about Sam's book is he's a three-time best-selling New York Times author. All right, so like when he got his out, book out there March 6th, that's probably one main reason why um, the issue was on the cover of Scientific American Mind in May, June. Okay, it's out there. But Pierce, Pierce, <laughs> he is the top scientist of all time. Thanks for watching.